So good morning, everyone. Once again, you you said good morning like four times already today, haven't we? Um, just setting this up. Um, so as you know, we are starting a, a little series in Advent, part of our wider series on great expectations. And we're looking at, you know, the Advent is all about Jesus coming to us, God coming to us. So Advent looks at the two comings. It looks at Jesus' first coming, and we end up with Christmas, obviously, and it also looks at Jesus' next coming. So that kind of, we know Jesus has come once, but there's also an expectation that he will come again. And today we're looking at Isaiah 42, and um, Isaiah is such a fascinating book. Uh, it's such a, an interesting book, and I think sometimes we just grab little bits of it, uh, and we kind of get excited about little bits, and we sometimes don't see the the full picture of what the message in Isaiah is. So I'm going to take us on a little bit of a journey at the kind of the first bit of the talk into Isaiah. And we're going to probably read quite a bit of a lot of chunks of of scripture. So if you find uh, scripture reading a bit boring, sorry, um, we're Christians, that's what we do. (laughs) Sorry, you know, that's a bit judgmental, isn't it? Um, So Isaiah is basically separated in two big chunks. We've got Isaiah 1 to 39, which is the first bit, and Isaiah 40 to 66. The first bit of Isaiah is mainly focused on the people of Israel before the exile. So this is kind of when they had their own kings and they were doing stuff that was generally quite wrong. And, um, and this kind of this call from Isaiah saying, look, we need to straighten our ways. We need to understand that we, what we're doing is wrong. We, we, our heart is so far away from God. We need to come back to God because if, if not, um, there's going to be some kind of disruption. God's going to shake us so that we can kind of come back to what we are called to do and who we are called to be. So there's a mixture of kind of judgment for what they're doing wrong and hope for the future. That's the first bit. Uh, and that tends to, uh, and there's a big discussion if uh, Isaiah was all written in one chunk if it was written by two or, or, or in different bits, so if it was written all kind of in the 8th century before Christ, and the second bit, there's a lot of discussion between scholars if that was written at the same time or like 20 years later by Isaiah's disciples or even two centuries later after the exile. And it's a, it's a big discussion. It doesn't really matter for, for our purpose today. Um, but the second bit is all about God's servant, who we know to be Jesus. And it's all about the promise of what God will do in the future. And it's much more centered in life after the exile. So just to put a bit of context, so as you know, or, or some of you might know, the people of Israel were taken captive and then they came back. And when they came back, they, they had sort of Uh, a few questions, even though God had brought them back to Jerusalem, in their hearts they were kind of doubting, God, are you powerful? Who is more powerful? Are you more powerful? Or are the gods of these people who captured us more powerful? Because at the end of the day, they captured us. And and part of what Isaiah is trying to do in the second chunk of the book is to say, look, I am the God who is in control, and I've told you beforehand that this would happen, and it happened, and I told you so that you knew that I am in control, that I am the God... uh, the, the God who's sovereign. And we read in Isaiah 40 these lovely words, which you can see at the bottom. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. This is the beginning of the second chunk of Isaiah. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem 
And then it says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, which is then used to talk about John the Baptist. So once we're back, we, we get uh, lots of beautiful passages. And, and it's, it's basically this, this second half of Isaiah, there's a bit of a conversation between God and his people. And his people are doubting, God, are you actually powerful? Are you actually going to do what you say you could do? Are you actually more powerful than the gods of the Babylonians? Are you more powerful than them? And um, God responds, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And God, in a way, he's, he's kind of bringing them back to him. He's, he's kind of seducing them back to say, look, this is who I am. This is who you, you put your trust in. This is the God who you have put your faith in. Look, here I am. I am the creator of the universe. And then later on, it says, well, again, they're, they're annoyed and complaining. He says, I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them, and I made them known, for I knew how stubborn you were. And that's where, where he's saying, look, I told you you were going to go into exile. I told you because you were so stubborn, but you needed to know that, that this was part of my plan. Therefore, I told you these things long ago, before they happened. I announced them to you, so that you could not say, my images brought them about, my wooden image, a metal god, ordained them. So in a way, God is proving to them, look, I am the God who says something and it happens. It's not the circumstance, not the world around it, you. It's I say it will happen and it happens. And what he's doing is he's building a faith in him, a trust in his word. What he's doing is he's telling them, look, you can trust in what I say, because what he's about to say, or he's saying in the middle, is really powerful stuff. He's talking about Jesus and what he would come to do, and therefore, he needs them to know that he is trustworthy, that what he says happens. And then in the middle of, of this lovely chunk in Isaiah, we have Isaiah 53. And if you haven't read it or haven't studied it, go and have a look at it, because for me, it's one of the most impressive passages in the Bible, because this was written at least 500 years before Jesus, could be 800, it doesn't really matter, it's definitely 500 is good enough, isn't it, for a prophecy, uh, 500 years before, and he's saying, this is how Jesus will be, and if you look at Isaiah 53, it's spot on a description of who Jesus was, and what he did, and what he come, came to do, and it's so different to what people had in their heads of what the Messiah would be, uh, that it's, it's so incredible, and, and in so many ways, what it's saying is, this is how Jesus would be, and therefore trust in what I say. Therefore, for us today to say, 500 years before, Isaiah gave a, or 800 years before, Isaiah gave a perfect description of who Jesus would, would be, and what he would do, and then he did it, and therefore, again, what God says is trustworthy. Therefore, what he says is true. And this is what it says, and, and this, there's so much more in that passage. But it says, in, remember in their heads, the Messiah was going to be this conquering king. And this is what Isaiah 53 says. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought, brought us peace 
was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isn't that Jesus in a nutshell? Isn't it such a good description of what Jesus would then come to do? So with this in mind, let's uh, now read our passage in Isaiah 42. The Bible reading is from Isaiah chapter 42, which is page 728 in the Bible. So that's page 728, and it's Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 9, the servant of the Lord. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. The creator of the heavens who stretched them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See the former things that have taken place and the new things I declare before they spring, in, spring into being, I announce them to you. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. What a beautiful passage. What a description of who Jesus is. And it says, well, you just read, I will put my spirit on him, on Jesus, and he will bring justice to the nation. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. And his teaching, the islands will put their hope. And that's who Jesus is. And that's Jesus' calling, um, and that was he, what he was called to do. And therefore, we find in our passage, our, do we have the slide? There we go. Um, in our passage, what God's servant Jesus came to do. So he came to restore, he came to be rejected and killed, dying on a cross for us. He came to give light to the nations, and he came to bring hope. And at the end of the day, when we read this passage, there's a few things that come out. And the first thing is, Jesus is amazing, isn't it? We read Isaiah and say, since he's so fascinating, the Son of God, God himself, coming to be rejected and killed, to come and love, to come and set the captive free, to come and do all these amazing things. So our first reaction is, wow, Jesus is utterly amazing. And the second is, we... We are called to do the same thing. We are called to do what he used to do. 
we are called to do the works that Jesus did. And if you look at, obviously, through the New Testament, that's what Jesus did. He created disciples to do what he did. But, but for me, looking at this, the key word that comes out is Jesus is someone we can trust in. God is someone we can trust in. God is a God who does what he says he would do every time. That if he says something, it will happen because he's proven himself once and again. And our call as Christians is to have great expectations that he will do what he said he would do. That he would continue doing what he says he will do. That's our great expectation. It's not that we are going to be great, but that our God is great. And actually, at the end of the day, the great expectation is also that Jesus wasn't what people expected. Jesus suffered, and his disciples went to jail, and it wasn't easy for them. But God was in the middle, creating a revolution that would change the world. In the middle, setting captives free, healing the sick, and bringing people out of darkness into light. And I think that's what probably we learned last week, didn't we? That in the middle of God doing some amazing things, life doesn't necessarily... Uh, isn't necessarily easy. And when I say we trust in God and we, we look at what God does, it doesn't mean that there's nothing we can do, that uh, oh, therefore we just sit down and, and, and see what God will do in his, his mega plan for the universe. He, we're called to do something. Uh, and I was quite struck, um, I was looking at um, something a comedian say, said, do you know Jimmy Fallon? No, he's quite, a, he's quite an interesting character. And he has a TV show, and what he did was he asked people, why did you get fired? And he asked people to reply. And these are some of the replies. And it says, I was hired to bartend with no experience whatsoever. I got fired when someone ordered a rum and coke, and I asked, what is in a rum and coke? <laughs> and... The next person, again, drink-related, said, a friend of mine called into work to say she was sick. The manager said, I don't believe you. So my friend responded, well, then I'm calling in drunk. Um, and you understand why she got fired. Like, she probably thought, I've got my sick days covered, but how, how many drunk days do I get in a year? Um, and another person said, my friend decided to vent on Facebook about how much she hated her job, but she accidentally tagged her boss in the post. They fired her in the comments. And obviously, it's something we can do. It's not like we can do all these silly things and just expect God to do everything. Like, we have a part to play in that. And that's also the beauty of it, isn't it? That there's a contribution for us, that we get to collaborate with God in bringing his kingdom. If it was just kind of sitting down and not doing anything, it would be a bit boring, wouldn't it be? Like, we wouldn't be, feel valued at all. It would be anything for us to do. But God invites us to collaborate with him in bringing his kingdom. So the question for us today is, if we're called to have more faith and trust in God, how can we grow in our trust and faith in God? And we have to remember that we... Firstly, we have to remember who Jesus is. Jesus is utterly amazing, humble. He goes to a cross. He's mistreated. He's not looking for power. He's not looking for recognition. And yet he was setting captives free all the time. He was opening the eyes of the blind, both physically and spiritually. And he was bringing people out of darkness into his marvelous light. He was the most loving, inspiring, encouraging, honoring, joyful person in the history of the universe. And that's a person whom we trust. That's a person in whom we put our trust. And that's a person who is inviting us to trust in him. It's not like a, a, a 
bad God out there who's all judgmental. He's the most loving, amazing person in the universe. He's inviting us to trust in him. But how do we grow in our trust? Because if we're called to trust, there must be ways in which we can nurture that trust, nurture that faith. And here are a few things that have been useful for me in the past and are still useful for me today. And one is journaling. I don't know if you ever journal prayers, but it's quite useful because then you can go back and say, look, these prayers from 10 years ago, God has answered many of them, or these prayers from five years ago or 20 years ago. So it's, it's a good way of, kind of keeping track of God's faithfulness and seeing that God actually was with you in the middle of very difficult times. The other obvious thing is reading, reading the, the Bible builds faith. You read Isaiah, it's such a faith-building book. It just creates so much faith to see how, kind of, how specific God was in his prophecies and how specific he was in his answers. And that's super faith-building. Read stories of other people who came before. Maybe sharing stories of what God has done. Share stories of what God is doing in our midst. Share stories uh, of what uh, you see God doing in, in, in your life or hear stories from others of what God's doing in your lives. And then maybe try it out and tr try out our faith and test God. And um, it it's doesn't always work. It's not always easy. Um, a, few, a year ago, actually, I was um, at... Uh, talk that was all about listening to God and I was all pumped up and inspired and I, I usually don't don't remember my dreams so one day I remembered kind of a bit of a dream which is um, I don't know why it's kind of a motorbike and, and a, a guy who used to play rugby with me and he was um, he was a year old and he was quite a kind of cool maybe a kind of cool rebellious most most guy in in the, in the rugby team and he was uh, a bit older but our cro kind of path crossed after after playing rugby because uh, his family was Anglican so he got married in the Anglican church and I baptized his daughter but it, it wasn't a, a very strong link and he was pretty much very nominal didn't really believe much but it's just a thing to do and um and I, after like 10 years, like living here in Ashton, uh, I, I had him in a dream. So I said, oh, I'm going to send him a message because it might be that God is into something. So I, I sent him a message saying, look, um, I had a dream about you yesterday. And I suddenly thought, what is this guy thinking? Someone I haven't seen in 10 years used to play rugby. He's saying he's having dreams with me. And uh, I said, like, I had a dream and uh, just wondering if you're all fine and if you need prayer for anything. And he came back and said, actually, you're all fine. It's no issue at all. Uh, but thanks so much for thinking about me. I thought, well, I don't know if this was a me thing, my own dream, if this was a God thing, if, um, if he thinks I'm a weirdo, or if, if he thought, oh, that's lovely that, that he sent me a message. But to be honest, after that, I felt a bit weird. But I was quite proud of myself because I tried it out. I, I went out, I stepped out in faith, and I just tried. And it might be that I really blessed him, or it might be that he's not coming to an Anglican church again in his life. Um, I'm joking, but um, he, he, it, was, it was a nice interchange afterwards. But, but I think it's, it's trying out, trying God out a bit as well, because so many other times where, uh, and I'm telling the, the failure story because um, we always share success stories, and... Um, and, but there's so many other times where I've stepped out and, and we've seen God in action and God touching people's lives and kind of hearing spot on what God wanted to say to a person. But it's worth trying, testing God a bit, 
trusting God, testing our faith and our trust, and seeing if God steps in, because I'm sure God always steps in. And uh, I would like to just finish with a few verses that remind us of the faithfulness of God. 2 Timothy 2.13 is one of my favorite verses in the, in the Bible. and says this, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And uh, this week I've seen something of the faithfulness of God that has really moved me. And um, it's, it's a very strange thing. So la- last year, uh, at the kind of June last year, uh, a friend of mine had a stillborn baby. And uh, it was a really, really weird, weird situation where he, he called me in the middle of the night to say, can you come and stay with the kids? I'm going to go to hospital. And he went to hospital and realized that um, that the baby was dead and they delivered the baby and it was such a hard thing and the next day I came to hospital and I prayed with the family and I held the baby and it was heartbreaking to be in that situation and we had Toby who was five months old at the time so there's all this kind of in your, in your head thinking this could have been me in six months ago and, and, and obviously they were, they were broken by this and, and it's such a difficult situation and this week I, I saw on Facebook that they, he had written, the dad had written that Christmas a song about Jesus coming to earth. And this is like five, six months after this had happened. And it's just, and, and he, he published it um, now this, this week, uh, preparing for this Christmas. But he wrote it five months after that had happened. And he's talking about the faithfulness of God, of the God who comes to meet us. I thought in the middle of so many questions he must have had, or he had because we we journeyed together, in the middle of so much hardship, in the middle of so much kind of brokenness, he was able to write, I waited so long for a ruler so strong, a baby you sent to write all wrong, the greatest story, love come down for me, rescued my soul and made me whole. King above all kings, beginning and end, his name is Jesus, God with us. And for me, that's, that's a faithfulness of God. Not that everything will be fine, not that everything will be as we expect. Obviously, as a church, we've community, we've been mourning the last few weeks, so many faithful saints but the faithfulness of God is a God who comes to us in the middle of our brokenness. And that's the great expectation we have. In the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of the brokenness of the world around us, God will come and meet with people. And that's, that's what Isaiah 42 is all about. It's a God who comes to set the captives free. The God who comes to open the eyes of the blind. The God who comes to heal our brokenness. And I think that's our biggest expectation. That's our biggest trust. Not that everything will be easy, but that there is a God who's acting in our midst. And the God who said he would act, will act. The God who said he would be with us, is with us. He's proven that throughout history, and he's proving it in our lives as well. So why not try and build our trust and faith in him in whatever way we can, either praying, journaling, reading, sharing stories, trying it out, in many different ways. Maybe think of one way in which you can step out and say, God, I'm going to trust in you. So let's just finish with this bit of the passage which we read today. 
And I'm going to invite the band to come and lead us in worship. To open the eyes that are blind. To free captives from prison. And to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Let's pray and be in God's presence and ask him to help us build our trust in him. Thank you, Father, for the book of Isaiah, for how faith-building it is, how it reminds us that you are trustworthy, that you do what you say you would do every time, that you come to meet with us, to be with us, that that's your promise, and we believe it. I pray, God, that you would just help us trust you more to be your people in this place. Help us to have faith in what you can do and will do through us. Help us to remember our calling. Help us to just rest in you as well. So as we worship you now, God, I just pray that by your spirit, you will fill us with faith, fill us with hope, fill us with an understanding of who you are and what you want to do in the midst of brokenness. Amen.